Welcome back to G5 Football Daily. have a couple different guests that uh, I think G5 fans like for this episode. We're talking Liberty with Emily Austin, who is a producer with the Flames. Done a few different things for them on uh, their broadcasts, their overall media department. Um, like everything else, they've invested a significant amount of money in that. But we talk about that, just the overall buy-in from the University on Athletics. And we preview the season. They got picked second in the media poll for Conference USA behind Western Kentucky. Uh, and listen, Jamie Chadwell is a great coach. I think he'll do some interesting things. But a lot of roster turnover today. We'll, uh, we'll talk about that in a couple minutes. And then after that, talking UTSA with uh, a guy that I know very well or that I've worked with quite a bit anyway, um, Jared Kalmus. And uh, he's joining the show alongside Eric Henry of 247 Sports to talk about the Roadrunners and what we can expect from Frank Harris's final campaign and their first year in the American Athletic Conference. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's jump into it. Okay, Emily Austin joining us to talk Liberty football today. Emily, uh, I know you've been in Lynchburg for a little bit, but do you want to kind of remind people what your like official role with the university is? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm going into my fifth season with Liberty. That just blows my mind. Um, but I host a podcast, a Flame Central podcast, Flame Central weekly show. It's basically like a sports center for all Liberty athletics. So I host both of those and... Um, Whenever the broadcasts are uh, run through the university, like on ESPN Plus, I do the sideline for uh, football and men's basketball. And I do a lot of just the social media reporting for the university and in the athletic department across really all sports. So it's been fun. I can imagine so with just the amount of investment the university seems to have put behind football and basketball in particular, um, you know, for you, I, I guess what's that just experience kind of been like just seeing those programs grow so significantly in the last five years? Right. It's insane. I, my running joke, and I don't think anybody else thinks it's funny, but I think it's hilarious is that we should be the Liberty cranes because there's always a crane building something new on campus. Um, I remember because I was doing social media, like public speaking to athletic departments and football teams before I uh, got the job here. And I remember they're like, I was supposed to come and speak to to Liberty's football team when Hugh Freeze was on uh, the head coach. But I was like, uh, yeah, like trying to work out a date on when I was coming to speak to the team. And they're like, but would you still be like interested in getting back into reporting? And I'm like, yeah, but I, you guys, I don't know if you guys are interested. Yada, yada, I don't know what. They're like, oh, well, you should just come and, and interview. And I came on campus and I'm like, and I mean, I had been speaking at Texas A&M, Alabama, Ohio State, like major power five schools. And I got on Liberty's campus and I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Like, this is incredible. The facilities, what they invest in, um, you know, their athletics and not only that, but just like the the student body in general. Um, from like convocation to the gym and, and like just the entire campus is absolutely beautiful, very young. But since I've been here, they've built um, a Liberty football center that has like the most incredible weight room. 
They have, you know, all these top of the line coaches and, and position rooms um, for the guys, like a whole like lounge and stuff for them. And then, um, I mean, the whirlpools, all that, the whole nine yards, right? So then they they build a new Liberty basketball arena for like the men's and women's basketball and volleyball teams. So it's just, it's crazy. Like the the turf, there's new turf every other year. I feel like field hockey, they went to a national championship game a couple seasons ago. They have brand new facilities. It's It's been really, really neat to see, even in my short time, how much this university has grown. And now that you've been there for five years, I'm sure there was uh, some insight that you can pass along to new head football coach, Jamie Chadwell, who is in his first season with the program after spending the last uh, several at Coastal Carolina and growing that program there. Uh, what's his integration into the football program in the last six months or so been like? Well, it's it's always an adjustment, right? Like change, whether it's good or bad, it's just sometimes awkward, whether it's, um, you know, the player or the staff, uh, you know, working for football, it's just different. You just have to like learn to adjust um, regardless of what your position is to the football team. But he has been amazing, like so genuine. Uh, you can tell that he really cares about these young players. And I know that that's so cliche to say, but he really values relationship. And I think everyone on his staff does, which is really, really neat. Um, he has a great personality. Like he's really, really funny. Um, he, he loves queso apparently. So I'm like, Oh yeah, you're, you're my guy. If you like queso and Mexican food, that's like my thing. But, um, no, but really he, it was interesting. Like when he first got the job, he's like, what's so difficult and makes this a different challenge than some of his other stops before is he's not building a program here. Like what's been really difficult, I think for him early on was, when you're coming into a program that everything was working, everything was pretty much successful and you're coming in and implementing your system and changing up a lot of, of the way you do your strength and conditioning workouts or the way that you run an offense, all of that is different. And though we've had a 50% roster turnover, which is insane. Um, that change, that's still like difficult when you're, when you're coming into that. So I think that, it's been really cool to see how he's handled that that challenge of of adversity in terms of okay how do I get these guys to still buy in that were part of that program before um, because when you look at his track record everywhere he's gone he's been successful so um, it, that that I feel like makes it a little bit easier to buy in but um, yeah it's just been great there's just a good vibe with that entire coaching staff. They're young, they're fun, and then you always go back to the word energy. They just bring an incredible energy to practice or, you know, whatever they're doing as a team, even off the field. It's It's been really cool to watch. You know, you mentioned the, the roster turnover and just kind of the overall personnel differences. I know one of the positions that folks are super interested in is uh, – the, the quarterback and who's going to be the QB one for Liberty moving into the season. You mentioned off air that there were two guys uh, that were getting the majority of the reps in camp and uh, who were probably the front runners for those jobs uh, or for that job, rather. Just tell me what you think of what those two guys have put in and include the audience in and who those two guys are. Right. So it's basically um, a battle between four guys. I don't know uh, if everybody's been following along to the football situation, but last year there was even a game where Hugh Freeze played four quarterbacks. So this has been going on for multiple seasons since the departure of Malik Willis to the Tennessee Titans. So that's that's been a struggle of who is QB1 on the mountain. Um, Jonathan Bennett is a senior. 
established. I mean, he had huge wins over BYU, Arkansas. He is that consistent, you know what you're going to get every day guy. And then you have someone um, like Caden Salter. He transferred from Tennessee. He was a four-star recruit out of high school. Like this is the most athletic of the group, in my opinion. Um, And I think everyone would have a similar opinion, but he is, and I think that he would fit really well into this Chadwell offense, but he is just so athletic. He had some huge plays um, last season, had a minor injury um, in the middle of the season. So that kind of, I think, messed with his like progress and flow. But I mean, this kid can make some insane, I mean, his he can pass too. Like he can throw the ball really well. And, but, but what he can do with his legs and, um, and stuff, I think is, is really, really been cool to watch. Um, and he, you know, he's younger. So he, he, I think his knock would be taking care of the football and, and protecting the ball and, and not fumbling. So, um, I think he's worked on that a lot since last season. And then you have a guy, Trey Lowe, he transferred from Southern Miss, another big athletic, um, quarterback. He's actually getting his doctorate. So he's like wicked smart. Uh, yeah, so he, he's also in that battle. And then you have, um, oh my gosh, now I'm like losing my mind for, uh, Nate Hampton. He's like your Tom Brady, you know, can pass the ball really well, big guy. Um, but yeah, so that's the, that's the four guys. I would say that the majority of the reps are, are coming from Bennett and Salter. Um, so we'll see like who they go with, but they've been very clear. Quarterbacks coach Willie Korn has said, we're not gonna do the quarterback carousel like we're going with the guy he needs to like take care of the football and um when you look at running this offense and and a lot of guys it's it's very difficult to learn and understand and they have been implementing it since the spring so we have some time um that they've been trying to get it under their belt but they even the staff says it takes like two full seasons to really really understand it so it'll be interesting to see who they go with and um i i think that I don't know. I can't, I can't share any more than that, but it'll be exciting. And it's, you know, you, you like, you cover these guys and, and you know how hard they work and they really do root for each other, but you know, you do want everyone to get a chance, but it, we'll see. I guess that's, that's part of football and, and, and grinding it out and competition, right? It makes them all better. So. You know, quarterback, uh, the battle for the quarterback spot is certainly going to be exciting. Is there a position aside from that, that you are, really excited to see and just that a group of guys at a particular spot. I would say the running back room um, and, and really the defensive line, I think is going to be really fun to watch. There's some key players that, that we lost um, last season, but um, yeah, I think that those two, those two uh, groups offensive line, I would say is probably one of the strongest of the team overall position groups. So um, that'll be, That'll be fun to watch those guys. There's some young guys stepping up on on both uh, sides of the ball on the line. So it'll be fun to watch. But when you look at this running back room, it's like so deep. And there's just so many different guys with different skill sets. There's a transfer from Wake Forest, Quentin Cooley. He's like, they call him the bowling ball. (laughs) He is just massive. And he, once he gets going downhill, like you're not stopping him. It's going to be pretty hard. We have a a true freshman in Vaughn Blue who should get some time on special teams too. Like he is just special. He's always at the top of the the list when it's um, when you're looking at how much time players are spending on film. He's always one of the top guys. Uh, you can just, you can tell he's hungry. 
even though he's a true freshman, he really wants to get um, that playing time. And I think it's going to be difficult. Billy Lucas is another guy, uh, another back that should have some, um, some, some decent amount of playing time. So it should be between those top three. And there's other guys too, in that room that, that can get some playing time and make a difference. And I think that when you, depending on whoever is the quarterback, when you're running this new offense for these guys, I think that it's going to help to have a good solid run game. Um, and I, I think that they'll bring it for sure. On the uh, defensive side of the ball, one guy that really impressed me last year and I think has impressed a lot of other people as well was cornerback Kobe Singleton. Uh, what are you expecting from him this season and what kind of encore you think he can give us there? Yeah, I think that he I was just asking about him the other day about like what kind of growth he's had. Um, when when you look at this defense, Javon Scruggs was the leader like it, it was it was almost I was just talking to my boss today like we wish that we had him to kind of go through this transition between the two staffs because he was such a leader, but you have guys um, like Singleton who, who are going to step up and who are going to make big plays um, in that secondary. So I think that they really, that really, when you look at him and Quentin Reese, I think those two are going to, you know, make some really big plays this year and have a good impact on this defense. But it's just weird because when you have so much roster turnover, yeah, like we we saw those guys and we know those guys from last season, but there's so many new faces that, yeah, you can sit there and watch practice all day long, but like, are, are you going to make plays? How are you going to execute in a game? So I think that I just as like a lot of other fans of Liberty are like waiting for that moment to see like, who are these guys? Because it's it's been really, really difficult to, to kind of figure out um, – with a lot of, you know, with, with the tragedy that we had at the beginning of camp, we haven't had much open practices. So um, yeah, I'm not in the dark, but it's, it's like, it's going to be exciting this year to kind of get to know these guys as they're, you know, fighting for these, these positions and stuff. You brought up the the tragedy at the beginning of camp. And that of course refers to the, the all too young passing of uh, Taj Boyd, who was uh, set to uh, be part of that offensive line rotation. Um, but you mentioned that um, the team uh, got together for the funeral this past uh, weekend. And seems like that is something that's going to stick in the, in the minds of these guys. And they're going to be playing for him this year. Yeah, that's what, um, that's what coach offensive line coach Bill, Bill Durkin was saying uh, yesterday that, yeah, we are going to play for Taj this year. And I think really the whole team will, and I think they're doing something special regarding his number, his um, to remember him. I, I don't know about that yet, but I think that's in the works. Um, but yeah, it, it, I think it was just really difficult because obviously it was such a, a shock and a tragedy, but these players, you know, especially the offensive line, like when you're spending so much time together and um, they needed that closure and that they they switched around the fan appreciation scrimmage game because they were just going to go to um, some some remembrance thing for him. But then they're like, you know, we like I guess the team wanted to go to the actual funeral. So it was really cool that they were all able to go and and. Um, you know, see his family and friends and, and kind of talk. And I think that closure like has really helped them, you know, play for him and, and move forward and, and, and bond, like create a bond from that tragedy. But, um, but yeah, there was a week, you know, right after that, that tragedy happened, you know, they switched around practice. Coach Chadwell did a really good job with like 
understanding how players, different players were grieving. They switched practice to the afternoon because typically they practice in the mornings because I, um, I guess he found or, or did some research about like the grieving was hard at night and, um, at night and in the morning. So he it was just doing everything possible to, to help the, the players get through this and, um, and grieve in a right healthy way. Um, if there is one, right. Uh, but, I think they this the staff in general did such an incredible job, and um, I really do think that it's like created a bond with these guys. That if there is any good that comes from it, that it is you know they're they're playing for him, and, and they really aren't going to um, forget Tosh Boyd and, and what he was and the impact that he had on these guys. The season's going to be significant for the Flames in a number of ways. Um, in addition to what we've already talked about, it's also their first season in Conference USA. Um, and you know, as that being with that being true, is there a matchup this season for the flames that you are, are particularly looking forward to or excited about? Oh yeah. It's like circled on my calendar, Western Kentucky on the road. What's the actual date for that? Let me look. Uh, October 24th, a Tuesday night, baby, Tuesday college football. Let's go. Everyone in the nation's going to be watching. No, I mean, again, we have so much roster turnover, so I'm like very, you know, the the Flames are projected to finish second in the conference, and Western Kentucky is projected to finish first. But so you're you're like, okay, well, if you like follow those polls, like that should be like the number one game. I think that Conference USA is going to be a lot more um, competitive than what people think uh, when you start to like look into these players. And and again, the transfer portal, it's just like so hard to know who's where because. And, and who, what team is really like stacked or not because of so many guys moving around now, but I don't know that Western Kentucky game. It's going to be on the road. I think at that point you're eight games in or seven games in that's the eighth game of the season. You're going to have um, the reps that are needed to, to really, I think make a difference uh, and, and win some games. They're going to learn, you know, a lot by that point. So I think that's going to be the best game of the season as far as conference USA goes. Emily, before we start to close this out, where can people find you on social media and where can they find your work? I really am slacking on social media lately, but um, I try to tweet and use Twitter or X, whatever it's called, as much as possible at Emily Austin TV. That's uh, Emily and then Austin with an E, A-U-S-T-E-N, you know, got the the Pats jersey. So A-U-S-T-E-N, Emily Austin TV. Um, and then on Instagram, Emily Austin, um, is my handle, but yeah, the, the, the coverage and the resources that we have here at Liberty have been really, really cool for, for me and my job that when we do like these stories and features on, on these players or coaches, it's like top of the line stuff. So it's been really, really cool to be a part of. And I'm so excited about this Chadwell era. I mean, I, I love coach freeze. Like I miss freeze and that staff. And I'm like, can't believe I have to root for Auburn, but, um, you know, really wishing them success there, but it's, it's like really cool. The it's like a breath of fresh air, right? Like, like a new start with, um, the Chadwell era. And I, and I have some like big high expectations for what the staff can do and this team in general. I have one more question for you about coach Chadwell before I let you go. Uh, throughout the offseason and uh, to a lesser extent when he was at Coastal Carolina too, he has talked about his skills playing pool basketball <laughs> quite a bit. 
And I, I'm very curious, have you seen him put these skills to action in person? Okay. So my, one of my coworkers that we do the podcast with, his name's Joe Yach, J-A-U-C-H. He has his house and and all that he calls the compound. I don't know. He's ridiculous. But mm -hmm. it has pickleball courts. They do pool basketball. So he invited the coaching staff over. I I heard that like Joe was like drowning Coach Chadwell at one point. Things got like really heated. But um, I don't know. Joe said that all all Coach Chadwell did was set screens for Josh Lynham. I don't. I wasn't there. They didn't ask the sideline reporter to go, which was a huge mistake because the truth would have been out. Um, but I heard that Chadwell did hit the game winning shot. I'm pretty sure he hit the game winning shot and he made that clear in his, uh, press conference to follow, which I think is so hilarious that you're just saying that in the middle of a press conference. But that's, I think, I think that's why it's been so cool to get to know Chadwell and this entire staff really is they're just so real and like personable. And I, I don't know, it's just going to be really, really neat to get to know these coaches and their families and the mountain is, I know, yeah like people say it all the time, but like this place is just different. Like I never thought I'd be here five years. I was like, okay, you know, I'll stop and, and keep it, keep it moving. But it just, it's, and coach freeze will tell you this too. Like it's just a special place. And like the people here are so amazing. So, and then I think that that like spreads to the team and the players um, as well. So it's just, I'm just really pumped for, for what's to come. I think it'll take a couple years, right? Like I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about recruits, but like who's coming in next year? I think we're perfect. The Chadwell um, staff is perfect on on visits right now. Like whoever has come to Liberty to visit has signed uh, or has committed. So I don't know. There's there's a lot to offer here more than the facilities, and um, it should be really really fun to watch in the next few years. I agree. Emily Austin, thank you so much for joining the show and we'll be following you throughout the season and, uh, you know, safe travels and good luck. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to this next guest. He is the host of Alamo Audible, the best UTSA podcast on the market. Uh, been doing some great content covering the Roadrunners for a number of years. Also involved in the Runners Rising Project. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's a there's a statue of you in the work somewhere on UTSA's campus at some point, Jared. Jared Kalmus, welcome to the show. Always good to talk to you, buddy. Hey, thanks, man. Great to be here. I've uh, been doing podcasts with you guys for a really, really long time. So it's cool to uh, carry that over under a new title. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. How's the uh, last, you know, few months or so that we've uh, that we haven't talked to you been with uh, with Alamo Audible. You guys have been growing substantially ever since you started it, really. Yeah, definitely. It's been crazy. We like we've really been doing a lot of work on like on the e-commerce side, you know, trying to get our store up and running and optimized and all of that and doing more baseball coverage, bringing more people in. So it's been super, super busy. Uh, definitely been a wildly busy year, <laughs> but it's cool to see people recognize all the hard work and just have it start to pay off a little bit. Joe, if I may, really quick, it's just very weird to, you know, uh, the, Jared's one of the people who gave us a job. And, and now all of a sudden, fast forward all this time, you know, years later, mm -hmm. uh, where we are now. So it's just you know, de definitely a full circle vibes, uh, but always nice to have Jared on. But I, we couldn't bury the lead there. You know, the reason that the folks at home are stuck suffering to hearing Joe and I's voices <laughs> and our banter and, you know, our, you know, 
Chris Tucker, Jackie Chan esque kind of vibes. What, what would you compare <laughs> as, as, as a duo, Joe? No, no, you, you're shaking your head. Not, not that. I mean, I just never. You're the first person to ever say I'm Jackie Chan, but sure. I mean, I'm not mad about it. It's just a new one. It's 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 a fear. Jackie Chan isn't the best analogy. It's just it fits the the dynamic of us, right? I feel like it it, it embodies our moments. Jared, can you think of? I mean, is there another? I, listen, I, I I didn't want to go Chris Tucker, Charlie Sheen, and Money Talks. It's a worse movie. I just felt Rush Hour was was a better uh, was a better uh, one. Jared, you got you got something? Man, I don't know. It put me on the spot. I, I did. I did. I kind of get like a like a Hangover vibe. Yeah, okay. Okay. You know, I can roll with that. Like like Joe's Allen. For sure. <laughs> and I mean Joe, that in Joe, the most endearing way possible. Joe likes that one better, I think. I, it, but yeah, I don't know who Eric is in the hangover group, but I don't know. When Bradley I listen Cooper. over the years, yeah. Yeah. We're going with that one. Congrats, Eric. Thank you. Thank you guys. All right. Now I have to go watch the rush hour movies again. My daddy caught a bullet. Um, anyway, that's the line, right? I haven't seen those movies in a long time. Close enough. Close enough. Fair enough. All right. Let's uh, let's jump into the UTSA Roadrunner football team talk, Jared. Only a few weeks or only a few days, really, less than two weeks mm-hmm. until the Roadrunners open up the season against uh, Houston. Weird considering these two could have been conference mates, and obviously they played last year. was a was a spicy battle then. What are you expecting from this year's edition of this uh, this matchup? Same thing for sure. We did our uh, like schedule preview episode last night and I said, you know, there's going to be a one possession, two possession game at most. Last year it came down to triple overtime, only went to overtime because UTSA had a 12 minute on the field penalty, which is haunted UTSA. If there, if it wasn't for that penalty, they probably take two lane spot in the New Year six game against USC last year. So <laughs> like extremely monumental. And I don't think it's something that UTSA as a team is really letting go of. Uh, you know, Coach Trailer continued to like refer to that loss throughout the season, which is super uncharacteristic. So it's a game that UTSA has circled big time. And I think this team is a lot better than they were in that game. You know, the injury bug hit hard and often, but it built a lot of depth and experience for the roster. And um, super exciting game for sure. Great, great way to start the season. No doubt about it. Just unfortunate that Houston gets one year of being with UT in the Big 12. UTSA does not get one year of being with Houston in the AAC. That would have been sweet. Would have been poetic justice for sure. Uh, so looking back at the last like two years of UTSA football in particular, they were kind of like that team of destiny, so to speak, in Conference USA, just with the stars aligning. You know, mm-hmm. everything going mm-hmm. their way with how Jeff Trailer did things, resource allocation, et cetera. What's the feeling in the program now that they have made the jump to the AAC and this will be their first uh, season in that league? I think there's a difference of opinion or like perception between like the fan base and internally on the team. I think the team very much has the mindset of like, we are stepping up the competition. We had more resources than a lot of programs Conference USA. That's not necessarily the case in the AAC. They might be on par with a lot of the top schools, but they definitely don't surpass them. And they have less than programs like SMU and Memphis, I would say. So within the team itself, I think there is this attitude of like, even though we are coming off two conference championships, we still have to prove ourselves uh, stepping into this conference. And that's why you didn't really see the team have like this flashy swagger to them at the AAC media days that they had last year, the Conference USA media days. So I think they do have a bit of a humbled approach despite the two consecutive championships. Fan base, I don't know. I think the fan base is like on board, 
you know, undefeated season, coming for Tennessee, you know, upset alert, easy win against Houston, which uh, in my eyes is, is probably a little bit overboard. I definitely understand the sentiment because it's a UTSA is a great team and they've got skins on the wall and all of that. But I think that week to week battle that you're going to see in this conference is going to be much tougher than what UTSA when it gets in, in Conference USA, as you guys can certainly attest to. It's a lot of the same teams, though, that are jumping to the AAC um, from Conference USA, UAB, North, Tes- North Texas, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is there any team that, you know, UTSA fans or, or the players kind of hold of, like, we know we deserve to be here, they also deserve to be here? Within the Conference or USA? Or the other way around. Yes, moving up. Yeah, of the six, yes, of the six teams gotcha. that jump from COSA to AAC. UAB for sure. There has, I, w- I don't know if you call it a rivalry, but it's like a mutual respect of two really strong programs has developed between UTSA and UAB. And even before UTSA got the invite, a lot of folks that I were talking to were like, I really hope it's UTSA, UAB, FAU. Because I think for a lot of people, those were like the three schools that kind of competitively earned a spot to move up. Because, you know, they competed for championships, you know, won championships, had built strong rosters, recruited well, all that good stuff. So I think a lot of fans are really excited to keep those uh, schools, you know, in the same conference. Then I think for North Texas, from the rivalry standpoint, there's like that section of the fan base that wants to like, you know, one up the rival and we're moving to better conference and, you know, leaving you guys in the dust or whatever. But I I think the majority of people are excited to to carry on that rivalry with North Texas because those games have been so incredibly competitive. And a lot of upsets, too, year in and year out. So, Rice, Charlotte, I I mean, probably like most people that are in the AAC that you talk to, it's kind of like, why? Like, maybe a bit of a question mark. But I think for the most part, I think UTC fans are pretty good with this group that's come up to the AAC with them. Understandable. What what about this team gives you the most concern uh, heading into the season? I know there's obviously reason to be confident at several position groups, but if there's anything that – gives you pause i think overall it's just like the depth the back end of the defense right um lost a really good starting cornerback in Corey mayfield he's been playing great with the ravens in the preseason um next guy up after that is a bit of the question a question mark for sure they have a lot of talent there of course they've recruited really well um but they need to find like another cornerstone starter for sure so we'll have to see if that person can kind of submit themselves in his first you know couple of weeks of the of the at a conference slate um, and then the, the safety position has always been, you know, weaker depth, I guess you could say. Um, obviously, great players like Rashad Wisdom, Clover Chapman came on strong last year before he graduated. Um, but having that true too deep at the safety position, I think, is still something that UTSA is trying to solidify. That defensive back uh, coach you mentioned, it, it, you can also credit with developing Tariq Woolen, I think, um, mm-hmm. another great uh, UTSA DB that's down in the NFL. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned Wisdom. You mentioned Frank Harris. Um, is there any other player that you really see being like a critical leader type guy for this team that people haven't maybe considered yet? Good question. I think on the defense, a guy that kind of broke out last year um, as a redshirt freshman was Trey Moore. And for those unfamiliar, UTSA has a tradition where they vote players into single-digit jerseys. And then on top of that, they vote players into uh, the 210, which is the area code in San Antonio. Um, and Trey Moore got voted into that 210 Triangle of Toughness selection. Um, I believe he's in the number two jersey. 
Uh, they change every year. Oh, sorry, he's number one. I just checked. Um, so that's a huge, you know, boat of confidence from the rest of the roster that even though he's a young guy, he's just a retro sophomore, he's seen as a leader on the defense. And he had a huge breakout performance last year. Um, he set a couple of program records as a, as a retro freshman. So look for him to come off the edge and, and really be a difference maker for UTSA. He's a local product from a suburb right outside of San Antonio. Um, so he's a guy that's definitely, definitely going to be ready to compete in the AAC and, and be a leader while he's doing it. Uh, just a very vocal guy. And you can just tell he carries himself with a lot of confidence and, and high expectations as well. Eric Henry of 247 and Horns 247. What do you have for our esteemed guest today? Jared, I'm going to go big picture a little bit with, you know, UTSA football as a whole. Just want to start um, in, in your mind, someone who's been around that program for such a long time. I and mean, I remember the last time um, or I, first and last time I, I was in San Antonio, that was 2018. Now, if my memory serves me correct, Jared, that was a 45-7 FIU win. James Morgan and company just trounced the Roadrunners at the Alamo Dome. How how the programs have changed since then. Um, just in, in, in your kind of, you know, assessment, what have been the two, three biggest things that, that you know, you would say have made the difference in this program? I mean, I, I could probably point to, you know, I guess the hiring of Jeff, Jeff Trailer and the hiring of Lisa Campos, but just curious if there's anything that, that, that I've missed there that, that you would point to. Those are definitely the big two, no doubt about it. Programs are built on people. And you have to have the resources, the infrastructure, all that stuff. But you have to have the people that can get things done to put all that stuff in place. So none of this happens without Lisa Campos getting hired as the athletic director. Um, but, you know, in addition to that, I think having a true practice facility, the race facility they have, the Roadrunner Athletic Center of Excellence, that opened up. Uh, was it last year or the year before? But, I mean, that was just a transformational addition to the program for UTSA. I mean, they were practicing in like an asbestos filled underground <laughs> or they were working out rather in this really nasty dingy basement that it was just not fitting up a division two program, much less someone that, you know, wants to compete at the, at the G five level. Um, and that did uh, wonders for recruiting, obviously. So I think opening up that facility is huge. It's a shame it took that long. Uh, but I would say also just Frank Harris, Playing for UTSA is such a difference maker. Uh, the day he committed to UTSA, I was like, this could change everything. And, and that's kind of how it's played out. You know, through all the injuries he's had, he's just like such a dynamic player. But the way he engages in the community, um, I think he's made being a UTSA fan cool in San Antonio, even for people that don't have any attachment to the university. So I would give him a lot of credit as well as Rashad Wisdom. A lot of those local guys that stayed home despite having P5 offers, G5 offers, stuff like that. And they've just really been the cornerstone of this transformation that we've seen as, as far as the personnel goes. Jared, that's the perfect segue into what was going to be my next question. I was just going to ask you, you know, now being a resident of Texas myself, I've kind of gotten familiar with, you know, the culture. You can you can hear all about the culture of, of high school football and football in general in Texas. It's another thing to be here and live it. What has been kind of, you know, over the past 24 months or so, the reception uh, locally around San, around San Antonio uh, regarding the Roadrunners, you know, have they really embraced the program? And the second part of that question, I guess I feel a little bit of kinship with UTSA in the sense that having covered a, a program in a major metropolis like FIU in Miami I, and, and seen that being a public school in the area, knowing that there are, I'm sure, a ton of UTSA grads in the area, have they gravitated towards maybe, you know, their fandom being UTSA as opposed to maybe some other programs yeah definitely I, I think both on the alumni side and just like on the local you know san antonian side you're seeing a lot of buy-in 
San Antonio is a bandwagon city for sure, even with the Spurs. I mean, that's the only pro team in town. But when they're bad, they're not getting – they're probably not getting 10,000 people in the arena, even though there's no competition, right? So I think the city loves a winner. I think they love a team that's invested in the community, goes back to the community. Um, there's been a couple of small moments throughout this past couple of years where, like, you know, I check into my hotel and people are, like, asking, you know, did Frank throw a touchdown or whatever. Uh, just those kind of small moments that you don't really have when the team is not having success, right? There was that in the early years, like, when the program was first getting started. I think everyone in the city had a collective interest in seeing the program succeed. Um, and then you start losing some games and the disinterest piles up. So I think, like, right now, the city is super bought into UTSA. I think they're starting to see the vision of where this can kind of grow uh, to something where they are playing in the playoffs and, you know, looking in a power five conference and stuff like that. Like you can kind of see the the blueprint uh, start to accelerate a little bit. So yeah, I would definitely say there's a lot of support, uh, a lot of small businesses do NIL deals with the athletes and stuff like that. So, you know, hopefully that trajectory continues. Joe, really quick, Jared said when the Spurs were bad. I mean, was that been one year in the past, you know, three yeah. decades? I, 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 I couldn't, I, I couldn't let that uh, that comment slide there, Joe. As you know, you are uh, certainly a Portland Trailblazer fan, having lived in that area for a while. You know, definitely to have the experience of uh, being a Spurs fan like Jared. But Jared, I, I want to yeah. come back and, and and close up and at least from my section, ask you a kind of a, just a, a fun question here, uh, two parter. One. Of the new AAC cities that UTSA will visit, um, which one of them are you most looking forward to visit and why? And of course, you may have been to some of those cities uh, as part mm -hmm. of the Conference USA. So I'm going to ask you if you have been to X amount of those, exclude those, the new UTSA, um, the new the new cities that, that, that UTSA will face. And then the second part of that question is, for those who may catch this podcast who are not familiar with San Antonio, just just give us, you know, a, a talking point or two on what makes San Antonio such a unique city. Because I've heard a, a ton of it, you know, being here down the road in Austin. But I, I think, you know, I couldn't think of two more cities that in some ways are, are, are you know, juxtaposed differently than San Antonio and Austin. So, yeah. Uh, two part question. Here. Man. OK, great. So first off, before I like actually answer the question, I just like want to take a minute to acknowledge like how great of a conference the AAC is as far as like great cities and great travel destinations. So that's a lot of fun. You know, my friends and I do a ton of road trips to, to you know, follow the team around and, and see new cities and stuff. So we're all really excited. Um, for me, I think Philadelphia is probably the answer. I've spent a whole like two hours in Philly. I essentially like landed at the airport and then went to New Jersey right after. Um, so I'm excited to get out there for a full weekend this year. Uh, my wife is coming as well and just really exploring the city and, you know, Temple is right there. Um, within the city center so you know just checking that out really stoked for um the culture in philly seems awesome you know i love the music there and you know the beer and all the arts and all that so i'm really stoked on that um was there there was another question before you wanted me to talk about san antonio right I, I think no no no, no just, just okay, too cool. hard yeah um because i've already been to new orleans too as part of it new orleans is an easy answer for everyone else as far as what makes San Antonio so special, so unique, um, you know, you hear a lot of people say it's like a small town in a big city. And I, I definitely feel that way. I mean, I haven't lived in San Antonio in like 10 years now, but every time I'm there, I run into someone I know. And it's like, how can there be 2 million people in this metro area? And like, I still run into people. It's, it's very hospitable. 
It's very easygoing. The pace of life is like way slower than you would see in cities of a similar size. So there's not like this hectic, like go-getter, climbing the corporate ladder kind of attitude, which is really relaxing and really nice change of pace. Um, obviously, I think most people know about the Riverwalk, but what I always tell people is like the Riverwalk where the tourists congregate is just one part of it. There's like the Museum Reach area. It's a little bit more local friendly, like the Pearl District is there. It's just absolutely phenomenal, world-class. And then on the southern end of that river, um, you have a lot of cultural heritage sites like the San Antonio Missions that you can explore. Um, so if you make the trip, if anyone that's an AAC fan is listening to this and, you know, obviously the tourist stuff is great. I'm not going to knock it, but there's a lot more of the city to explore. And, uh, the Mexican food is top notch. Barbecue is not bad. Okay. So, uh, just, you know, quick thoughts there on what Jared said, a, I will not be hurt that you did not choose Tampa as your city. You want to go to that's okay. It's up there. It's up there. As as, as a native of Tampa, I won't be hurt. Uh, Joe, don't give me that face. I will say this. I I had an ex-girlfriend who lived in Philly. So I I was from Philly. So I I spent a fair amount of time in Philly and I can tell you this much right now. It's a, it's a unique experience. I think every American should be forced to spend a day in the city of Philadelphia, not, not, not the Philly suburbs, the city of Philly itself. So I uh, just want to, you know, share those thoughts as I, as I uh, toss it back to you, Joe. I I need to get back to Philadelphia too. It is a fun city. It's funny when you were talking about, you know, the Spurs uh, and their recent records or whatever, I just picture our good friend, Steve Helwick, just <laughs> going through his notebooks furiously as he's <laughs> listening to this. Like, I know the answer. That's another point, too, that I kind of wanted to mention. Like, San Antonio fans are so spoiled by the Spurs, and they think success in sports comes so easy because they've had Pop and Duncan and Ginobili and all that. And mm-hmm. then I think they're starting to learn. You know, that's a once-in-a-lifetime run that they're on. So you can kind of see why people have high expectations for the Roadrunners based off that. Joe, re- re- really, really quick. Uh, Steve Helwick will not hear anything you're saying because he's too busy uh, trying out for the Austin Spurs. I saw him down the road a second ago. We all know Helwick has hoop dreams. Uh, really quick, for, for anyone who is not familiar in the college football uh, space, G5 space, I'm sure you've seen the name Steve Helwick. Uh, Jared, I don't even know if you know this. Helwick travels with a ball. He is the epitome of like, yo, Ray Cooper, that guy. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and as someone who has played a little bit with Helwick, he is not the epitome of the white guy you just yell out and say shooter. Like Helwig's actually athletic, surprisingly athletic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he can dunk easily. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he can dunk. I haven't seen this. You haven't seen him dunk, Joe? No, I mean I haven't. Granted, I ha- I've only spent you know a couple of days with him in person over the course of however many years. But no, 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 not the in person part. The fact that no one is louder oh. about the fact that he can dunk than Steve Helwig, who will post it <laughs> on Twitter. You know what? Now that you're saying this, I'm remembering a video of him somewhere doing this. It was it maybe in like Venice Beach or something like that. It, it, but, exactly. Yeah. Steve Helwig yeah. must be part of that one man uh, college football beat writer uh, dunk contest. Yeah. Steve, like the city of San Antonio with the Spurs and UTSA football and all that. They're, they're like that guy you went to high school with who didn't start golfing until he was like 30 and is like amazing at it instantly. They could just pick <laughs> up any sport and like instantly dominate. They're the Steve Helwick of college sports towns, basically. That's all I'm saying. Correct. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. Steve. We're just burying uh, Steve on this podcast. Straight, no, I'm not. Huh? I'm not even burying him. All right. I'll cut most of this out. Whatever. No, no, no. Just no, Steve. leave it in. Leave it in because this is exactly how we feel about Steve Helwick. Love you, Steve. Um, 
So, Jared, do you want to tell people where they can find you before we get even more off uh, off the rails? Here? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, uh, like you said at the top of the pod, Alamo Audible podcast store blog posts, we do it all, man. We, we're grinding. Um, our podcasts are on the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed. You can also find us on Spotify and you know all that good stuff. We got a Patreon, so on and so forth. So give us a follow on social media. And then uh, I'm at Jared UTSA on Twitter, where I spend most of my time uh, trying to pick fights. I'm just kidding. <laughs> trying to get past that. Well, I mean, what, what's the but, point of that platform now, if not exactly that? So, uh, you know, uh, I, I spent a little time refining my meme album for the upcoming football season. So I'm ready to go. Let's go. Let's have, let's have a fun year. This this is going to be an interesting year for social media in general. Now, as uh, college football picks up the season, week zero is here. Week one coming up right around the corner. Uh, Jared Kalmus, can't thank you enough for coming on today, man. Thank you guys for having me. That's going to do it for us this week. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to talk about my experience in uh, Dublin covering the mids, Navy midshipmen, taking on Notre Dame on the Emerald Isle. And uh, two episodes a week. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. Eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore. At Jared UTSA at Emily Austin TV for our guest today and uh, at G5 football daily on Instagram and TikTok, and subscribe, leave a review, help us grow. We're getting there guys. We're getting there. Happy football watching. Week zero is here.